Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to Free For All Friday. Most of this hour is reserved for more of your phone calls, questions, comments, complaints, predictions, NFL, College Hoops is back, a little NBA, Kemba Walker homecoming, a little NHL. Saw the Canes last night. See him again Monday night against Ottawa. Tony Barnhart is Mr. College Football, and man, do we have a lot to ask him about. The coaching carousel is spinning with a prominent vacancy at Florida State University. And on the field, there are only seven unbeatens left at the FBS level. Four of them play each other tomorrow at noon, Penn State at Minnesota. Tomorrow at 3.30, LSU at Alabama. There are other big games involving teams in our neighborhood as well. Tony Barnhart from the SEC Network and ESPN. And now TMG College Sports on Maven. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show, man. How are you? DJ, I'm fine. I'm uh, good to be talking to you. When I'm when I'm done here, I'm going to hop in the car and for the 150,000 of my closest friends are going to Tuscaloosa. So. Yeah, I I think that one may come up, and you've been down that road many many times. Before we get to that, we've been goofing around a little bit with the Deion Sanders Florida State headline. Um, rather than going too far down that rabbit hole, uh, because most are encouraging us not to take that very seriously. Mm-hmm. How do you view the best jobs in college football? We know Alabama is that. Ohio State seems to be that. You know, at times we talk about a Texas uh, and other traditional heavyweights. Maybe Dabo has made Clemson one of the great jobs over this last decade or so. Is Florida State a three-time national champion under two different coaches still, you know, a top ten job nationally? And where, where is a likely place for the Seminoles' search to end up in your eyes? No, I would not consider them a top a top ten job. Now, now they could be again. They have been. Bobby Bowden built it into a top ten job, and and uh, Jimbo Fisher extended it. But now, with the issues that they had, uh, you, you you just fired a coach. What twenty one games into his tenure there, that makes other people sort of look a glance and what what's going on over there. Florida State can do it again because they have what you need. They're in the state of Florida. They have history. Uh, Finances, I think, are a question, but I don't know the specifics. But uh, Florida State, I don't think Florida State's a top-ten job now, but it can certainly be again. When it comes to those complications, is it a lot more than just two really ugly seasons under Willie Taggart and even a disappointing end to the Jimbo Fisher era? Or is it, you know, you know a lot of coaches. Are, are they worried about the finances? Are they worried about the university president and the athletic director maybe not being around for a long time? Is there something else wrong there culturally? Or could the right guy just get them back where they want to be relatively quickly? Well, it's all of the above, and the issue that the Seminole boosters are very, very involved <laughs> in the decision-making process that goes on at Florida State. Some coaches are comfortable with that, some aren't. Uh, but the fact that the, yeah, the president and the AD, we don't know how long they're going to be there. And, you know, but I will, I will say this. Uh, you're, in, you're in the state of Florida. You've got tradition. You get the right coach in there. I think from a roster standpoint, they're, they're still not where they need to be. But, yeah, if you, if you get the right coach involved to fix the offense, first of all, uh, you, you've got a chance to do it. But I, I just think Florida State – I think there's a lot of work to be done at Florida State. Let's put it that way. When it comes to coaching searches more generally, you know, when the name Dion came up and we're having fun with this, 
Can you think of any examples? You know, some brought up Herm Edwards, and my reaction was, wait a minute. Yeah, he had to learn how to be a college coach at Arizona State, and recruiting is different than what you experience in the NFL. But Arizona State was still hiring a guy that took a bunch of teams to the playoffs as an NFL head coach over eight seasons. You know, Deion Sanders has never recruited, and his only head coaching experience was a miserable one at the high school level, right? Are there – I mean, I remember the the Coastal Carolina program hired a guy out of Wall Street one time with no – football background i interviewed him yeah but that's that's like the only example right i mean at least in recent times yeah because you know if you're gonna hire somebody as a football coach and particularly a head football coach it would certainly be helpful if sometime in their life they had actually coached football (laughs) maybe maybe i'm just being extreme on that you're old schooler (laughs) i mean i love i mean i love deon sanders one of the greatest football players ever come he just he's just phenomenal and he would be a great ambassador for Florida State. Uh, I mean, I think if I become if I become the head coach of Florida State, first phone call I'm going to make is to Deion Sanders and say, "Look, we need you. Okay, you you represent the magical time at Florida State University, and can we call on you? Can you help us? Can you? I'll, that that's the role. But if you've never coached football, I heard Rick Neuheisel say this uh, earlier today. If you've never coached football, you have no concept of what the time demands are and how difficult these jobs are. And as a head coach, how many different constituencies you have to serve and you have to hire great assistants and you have to let – there's just so many moving parts to a job like this. Because you are a great player and you know a lot about football, that, that doesn't make you a coach. There's a lot more to it. Tony Barnhart is with us on Twitter. He is at Mr. CFB. Tomorrow's highlight, of course, LSU at Alabama. It feels like an upside-down world in at least one sense. We've seen these two, you know, behind huge offensive lines and with great defenses and great running games, play some low-scoring grinders. And yet this time you have Heisman front-runner Joe Burrow leading the Tigers. And somewhere high in the Heisman straw polls, Tua Tungavailoa leading the Alabama Crimson Tide. Uh, how do you forecast that matchup at uh, 3.30 tomorrow afternoon? Because it certainly uh, has a big role in the college football playoff picture. Well, there's a couple of X factors here. The first X factor is Tua. How, how close is he to 100%? Now, I just saw a tweet that quoted Gary Danielson. Gary got to go to practice yesterday. He said, I'm telling you, he's not at 100%. Hmm. He doesn't have the same sprint to step. So, so the question becomes, let's say two is 75%. Does the 75% Tua allow you to get the ball to those incredible wide receivers? If so, then Alabama can win this game. I, I'm picking Alabama to win because of two things. One is Alabama doesn't lose at home. 48 of their last 49. Mm. The, last loss, the last loss was Ole Miss in 2015 when Alabama turned it over five times. The other factor is the Saban factor. You're talking about the guy I believe, and a lot of people believe, is the greatest college football coach of all time who is really good after an open date, and he gets a chance to scheme defensively I guess what LSU's going to do. I'm picking Alabama by seven. If Tua doesn't go the distance, LSU's got a great chance to win the game. Do you believe it is accurate to say that Alabama is in more danger if it loses than LSU is if the Tigers lose because the Tigers still have 
really nice wins over Auburn and Florida and Texas and even others. Whereas Alabama's only good win to this point is Texas A&M. And if they were to lose to the Tigers uh, tomorrow, that's a shakier looking eight and one resume. That's a hundred percent correct. Uh, because, because Alabama's non-conference schedule, normally they have a power, you know, a highly ranked power team and a neutral site. Uh, they played Duke this year. Uh, and I think that, that hurt them. And plus, you know, <laughs> you sit there and look at the Alabama non-conference schedule. They're playing Western Carolina. Yeah. Cat them out. Yeah. Coming in to, to Brian Denny Stadium. Mm-hmm. New Mexico State. Southern Mississippi. That just it doesn't help them. Even if they're sitting there at 11-1, they're going to be, they may be competing for the fourth spot with an 11-1 Penn State, a 12-1 Oregon, a 12-1 Oklahoma. I don't think that carries the day, whereas you just pointed out LSU, just the fact that they scheduled that game right. at Texas is, should give them extra points and obviously the wins over LSU, uh, the, the wins over Florida and Auburn. So, yeah, I think, I think Alabama is on shakier ground if they lose. A majority of college football fans that I know are skeptical about Big Ten teams, especially those not named Ohio State. As you think yep. of 8-0 and Penn State at 8-0 and Minnesota, I'm sure you respect what James Franklin has done over six years with the Nittany Lions. P.J. Fleck clearly has his best team in year three at Minnesota. Who's the better team in that head-to-head unbeaten matchup? And does either, in your eyes, really have a realistic chance of, you know, running the table to a Big Ten title? No, I think, I think Penn State wins tomorrow. I think P.J. Fleck has done a tremendous job getting that program where it is. But Penn State is much deeper. They're, they're deeper on the defensive side of the ball. And so, but I don't think, I don't really believe Penn State can beat Ohio State. Uh, and, I, and I've talked to, a number of people about Ohio State, and they said, man, you got, you got to watch these guys. I mean, it's not just Justin Fields. It's Chase Young, and we don't know what's going to happen with Chase Young now. But they're just – it is the people I talked to said this is – I haven't watched a lot of film on them. They said Ohio State is the most complete team that they've seen. So I, I don't expect Penn State or Michigan to beat Ohio State. Obviously, the top five teams all have control of where they end up. Mm-hmm. Ohio State, LSU, Alabama, Penn State, and Clemson. You might not keep winning, but if you do, you're certainly going to end up in the final four. How deep does that list go in your eyes? Because Georgia, Oregon, Utah, and Oklahoma, uh, all, as one-loss resumes, all ha- are ranked in the top nine and have some big games still ahead. And meanwhile, Baylor and Minnesota are thinking, well, we might not win them all, but if we do, we got to get into that Final Four. Right. Well, I think you have, you have to add Georgia because if Georgia wins out, which means they would have beaten uh, Auburn, they would have beaten LSU or Alabama in the SEC yeah. championship game. They beat the SEC champions at 12-1, and one and they're in. Okay? Uh, you, can't, you can't say that about Oregon or Utah or Oklahoma. The interesting thing is, what if Minnesota went thirteen? Mm-hmm. You'd have to put you'd have to put them in because yeah. they would have beat they would have beaten Ohio State in the Big Twelve uh, championship game. Yeah, you know, and so I think I think that is one you got to factor in. And what about the Baylor Bears? Mm. All right, what if Baylor? They they still got to play Texas. They still got to play Oklahoma. But what if they went thirteen and zero and beat Oklahoma twice? Does Baylor get in? They probably so. So it, 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 those are the look at the outliers, but Georgia's the one. 
uh, if they were to win out and finish 12-1, they would be in the playoffs. Just for fun, as we let you go and thank you for your time, Tony Barnhart, SEC Network, ESPN, TMG College Sports, Maven as well. 7-1 App State has lost its dream season, but they've already beaten the Tar Heels head-to-head at Chapel Hill this year, and yep. they're only a six-point underdog at South Carolina, so in Columbia. You've seen the Gamecocks more than we have. Um does that sound like a six-point game to you, meaning the Mountaineers would at least have some realistic shot at an upset? Uh, it does. It, it does feel like a six-point game to me. Appalachian State's a very good team. They had to go on the road to Georgia Southern, and I have been to Georgia Southern a bunch of times. That's a hard place to play. That's a 24-21 game. And so, yeah, and, and the thing about it is Appalachian State knows they're still in the – if they win, they're still in the conversation for the New Year's Six game. If they lose, they know it's over. Right. This this is a big – and I think, DG, this is a monster game for Will Muschamp. I mean, big. Uh, you know, they, they've beaten Georgia, then they fall, fell off, and then they played better better last week. But yep. they, they cannot – I still think Muschamp is okay, but this is one of those quality of life games. They've got to beat Appalachian State. That's so true. It's all about context, right? Because Mac Brown in year one, part two, can lose to the Mountaineers at home and get the benefit of the doubt. Will Muschamp, sure. right further into his tenure at home, uh, can't just is not going to be received the same way. I mean, that's, that's really yep. well put. Hey, thanks for the visit as always, man. Keep up the good work. We'll be knocking on your door as uh, this craziness continues. All right, DJ. See you. All right, right back at you. Tony Barnhart, he, of course, uh, was incorrect about the App State-Georgia Southern game. This year it was in Boone. Last year, App State went to Georgia Southern and lost. This time it was at Kid Brewer Stadium, and the Mountaineers went down despite a valiant comeback in a close game. So it's 7-1 App State at South Carolina, the six-point underdog. ECU, which nearly shocked top 25 Cincinnati last week in Greenville. Holden Ehlers threw for 535 yards and four touchdowns. C.J. Johnson and Blake Prohl, all three of those guys, by the way, are either freshmen, Johnson, or sophomores, Prohl and Ehlers. That provides promise for the longer-term future for the Pirates under their first-year head coach, Mike Houston. He is still looking for his first conference win at ECU, and that will not be easy with the Pirates visiting 8-1 and SMU tomorrow afternoon. But that broader picture certainly looks brighter given what happened and the improvement you saw from the Pirates last week. 4-4 four and four Duke hosts number 15 Notre Dame. The Blue Devils want to keep that bowl run going. They've made six in the last seven years under David Cutcliffe. Don't forget, they beat the Irish in South Bend head-to-head. That was three years ago. That was with a redshirt freshman version of Daniel Jones at quarterback. He, of course, is now the starter for the New York Giants. So it will be the heavily favored Fighting Irish invading Wallace Wade Stadium. That's tomorrow night on the ACC Network. And really around here, the biggest games include 9-0 and Clemson visiting NC State. The Wolfpack has been disappointing to this point. The Tigers have won seven straight in this rivalry and are the heavy favorite at Carter-Finley tomorrow night. ABC game. We'll be there with the Big Tailgate Tour. Come find us between 4 and 7 at the Backyard Bistro or look for us or invite us to your tailgate. Tell us a milestone or a parking space number. Email us or go to BigTailgateTour.com. Tell us where you'll be. We're looking for a tailgate of the week tomorrow. And, yes, we will have the Storm Squad cheerleaders with us. Four and four, Wolfpack. 
still searching for an offensive identity, still churning through quarterbacks. There have been three different starters through these first eight games. We'll see how that works out against an elite Clemson defense that's trying to get the Tigers to 10-0 and on the season. 7-1 and Wake Forest visits a 5-3 and Virginia Tech team that really looked to be in misery mode earlier this year, but has rallied a little bit and almost beat Notre Dame in South Bend. The Deeks have a legit shot at the second 10-win season in the history of the program. The Hokies actually are still alive in the ACC Coastal race, but need a win over the Deacons to continue in that race, along with teams like UVA and Pitt in particular. 1-800-849-2761. That's a snapshot of the college football scene this weekend, near and afar. We can get back to your phone calls on the other side. It is free-for-all Friday. We are halfway to Margaritaville. We do have a big NFL weekend that awaits us. Panthers at Packers, but also Rams at Steelers, Vikings at Cowboys. Monday night, it'll be Seahawks at 49ers. That's 7-2 and Seattle at 8-0 and San Francisco. Kemba Walker had a tear-filled, heartwarming homecoming last night as a member of the Boston Celtics as the Celtics beat the Hornets. Kemba was not at his best, but the Celtics joined the L.A. Lakers of LeBron James and Anthony Davis with the best starts to the NBA regular season. They are both 6-1. and one. The Hornets fell to 4-4. Four and four. I was there last night as the Canes dropped their third in a row. Henrik Lundqvist was sensational in net for the Rangers. The Canes are at, Iowa to, or at Ottawa tomorrow night. And then they host the Senators on Monday night. I will see you there once again at PNC Arena. Cole Anthony had such a sensational start for the UNC Tar Heels as the college hoop season got underway this week that we were asked questions about the best freshman point guard seasons we've ever seen. I'll tell you the three that came to mind for me first personally. I haven't been around forever, but my memory does go all the way back to the 1970s. You can jump in on college basketball. Tiger Woods made his captain's picks for next month's President's uh, President's Cup match play event, USA versus the non-Europe part of the world. In Australia, that event will be held. And among Tiger Woods' picks for those wild cards, himself. More on that story. It's a huge soccer weekend for reasons I can explain. It's a huge NASCAR weekend. And, of course, we're all about the NFL, college football, and college basketball all year round here at the David Glenn Show. Tiger Woods, Kemba Walker, Deion Sanders, Cole Anthony, Cam Newton, they were among the headliners this week. You have questions, you have comments, you have complaints, you have predictions, bring it on. You can be next at 1-800-849-2761. Free-for-all Friday style on the David Glenn Show. UNC coach Roy Williams is joining us. You are uncomfortable with your name in the same sentence as Dean Smith. I know that I will never be as good as he was in in any way. Yet when I hear people say those things, yeah, those things are pretty neat. But I try to make sure that's about as far as I go. Keep it here on the David Glenn Show. Special, you know, just just to be back here and you know the amount of love that I've been getting throughout this this day, you know, leading up to this day, just been a lot of love and you know the, the video which just just topped it off really. It was super special and it definitely made me you know really emotional. I was trying to hold it in, but I couldn't. I knew I wasn't gonna be able to. It was amazing. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Little Kemba Walker for you in his own words. The greatest player in Charlotte Hornets history returned last night as a first as for the first time as a member of the opposition. The Celtics are good. 
The Hornets probably won't be. Kemba did walk out that door despite his desire to stay. And in an NBA season, as we come back to your calls, NFL, including Panthers at Green Bay Packers, college football, including LSU, Alabama, Penn State, Minnesota, both of those a battle of unbeatens, but also Wolfpack hosting Clemson. We're there with the big tailgate tour. Wake visiting Virginia Tech. Duke hosting Notre Dame. ECU getting a second straight shot at a top 25 opponent visiting SMU. And 7-1 App State, just a six-point underdog at the South Carolina Gamecocks. You can jump in on those or the NHL, NBA, NASCAR, college hoops, golf, and other headlines of the day. We're following your lead because it's free for all Friday. Next up will be Tavares in Greenville. Mark is in Greensboro. You can join us from wherever you are listening at 1-800-849-2761. Think of the NBA homecomings this year real quickly on the Kemba Walker story. And those tears were real. He was a huge part of the community. Hornets fans, as Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer told us this week, he's around them all the time. He corresponds with them all the time. The two most beloved players in the history of that NBA franchise, which calls the Carolinas home, are Del Curry, now their broadcaster, and Kemba Walker, the guy who's leading career categories in points scored and a whole bunch of other important things, free throws, et cetera, field goals. They're the two most beloved. Dell's always around. Kemba's no longer around, but whether it's the work he does with the Boys and Girls Club, Cody Zeller of the Hornets actually wore shoes with that theme to honor Kemba's tear-filled return to Charlotte. As you think in the bigger picture, I credit the Hornets organization and the Hornets fans for how they received Kemba, the enemy in air quotes, now that he's with the Boston Celtics, because when you think of other homecomings, do you know how Kyrie Irving now of the Nets is going to be treated in Boston after that haywire experiment for him in the in Beantown? I don't know if it's going to be mixed bag, but it ain't going to be what Kemba got last night where everybody was smiling. The standing ovation was long and heartfelt. Whatever Kyrie gets in Boston, it ain't going to be that. Meanwhile, how about Anthony Davis whenever he returns to New Orleans? after demanding a trade out of town. That ain't going to be warm and fuzzy either. The Kemble Walker Hornets story, in part because of the details, it was the Hornets' fault that they couldn't re-sign him. It wasn't Kemba's fault. I'm glad folks could see that bigger picture, and I'm glad that Kemba got the kind of homecoming that he deserved. Even Kawhi Leonard, I think when he goes back to Toronto this year, and that may even be soon, it, it might be. I don't know. He brought Toronto its first NBA title. He was the most important player on that team this past season. But he also left of his own will, right? He signed with the Clippers. He could have stayed with the Raptors. How mixed is that? I don't know. It'll be more good than bad. But it will not be the universal, no holds barred, no reservation celebration that Kemba got from Charlotte Hornets Nation last night. The closest I can think of, of all the homecomings, Kristaps Porzingis, by the way, now with the Mavericks, will at some point visit his former team, the New York Knicks, mixed bag again, right, for a variety of reasons. Mike Conley, I believe, only wore the Memphis Grizzlies uniform and now is a member of the Utah Jazz. I think it'll be closer to the universal love that Kemba just got last night in Charlotte. That's the closest example I can think of. I mean, it's an age of free agency, 
But when a guy spends almost a decade wearing only your uniform, and that's what Kemba did after being a lottery pick out of UConn back in 2011. Not quite a decade, but you know the deal. It's not like he's on his third or fourth NBA team. This was the first game for him as a member of the opposition, and I think it's going to be one of the the best tear-filled homecomings of the entire NBA season. Tavares in Greenville has some college hoops on his mind. Others, the Panthers' trip to Green Bay. Still others, a great college football weekend. Which freshman point guard seasons of my lifetime as a college hoops fan came to mind when Cole Anthony thrilled the college hoops world earlier this week. The UNC freshman point guard, as Carolina beat Notre Dame at the Smith Center, had 34 points, the most ever for any ACC freshman in his debut game. 34 points, 11 rebounds, 5 assists, a steal, and a whole lot of thrilling moments along the way. My answers included Magic Johnson from the late 1970s when he was the freshman point guard at Michigan State, Kenny Anderson from when I was a really young journalist and Kenny Anderson in 1990 was Bobby Kremen's New York City point guard recruit and went on to one of the best freshman seasons you'll ever see for a point guard. Remember Zion Williamson at Duke last year brought up examples that also included what Anthony Davis did at Kentucky back in 2012, his one and only season with the Wildcats, national championship, national player of the year, etc. Zion got national player of the year, didn't get the national championship, but Zion Williamson's ridiculously good season, 23 points a game, nine rebounds a game, 70% field goal percentage almost, uh, and a lot of other good things. The Devils won 32 games and went to the Elite Eight. Anthony Davis, Carmelo Anthony, Zion Williamson, Kevin Durant, and a handful of others on the greatest freshman seasons I've ever seen for any position. But since Cole Anthony is a point guard, for me it was Magic at Michigan State. It was Kenny Anderson at Georgia Tech in 1990. The Yellow Jackets, led by him, went to the Final Four that year for Bobby Kremens. And then more recently, a guy from our backyard, what John Wall did at Kentucky in his one and only year at the college level uh, was truly special. I mean, he was a phenomenal uh, trigger man for the the uh, Wildcats as they had a great season and as he had a great season individually. They're not the only freshmen. There are others, but John Wall was a first-team All-American in 2010. He was the SEC Player of the Year, uh, and they, he did lead the Wildcats to a 35-win season, although they, too, like last year's Devils, came up short of the national championship. Tavares, welcome to Free For All Friday. Go right ahead. Hey, uh, DG, how you doing? Um, I don't want to be selfish and, and give too many, uh, but the ones that when I was in high school that had me a hello the first time I saw them, and I'm not sure if they had such a breakout like Cole Anthony, but um, number one for me was Allen Iverson, and then when I saw Stephon Marbury, yeah. and, um, and um, also the Fab Five. When I saw the when the, when when the Fab Five hit the floor, at DG, I saw the black socks, I saw the baggy the baggy shorts and the bald head. You you couldn't tell me anything. I wanted the biggest shorts on the team. <laughs> you know, I, I shaved my head. My mother told me I was crazy, but uh, yeah, that, that's what that's what that's what caught me. Um, but um, people don't really uh, realize that. Uh, and, and plus, uh, I'm not a Duke fan. 
I'm a, I'm a UNC fan, but Jay Williams. When I first saw Jay Williams, I was like, man, yeah, he blew me out. He blew me out the war. Another but, great player, even as a freshman. Good work, Tavares. Thank you for listening, as always. As we continue with your calls, Mark is in Greensboro. You can join us at 1-800-849-2761. Questions are okay. Comments are okay. Predictions are okay. Complaints are okay as well. 1-800-849-2761. When I did this freshman point guard research, I was struck by one thing that I don't think will surprise you once you think about it. But, for example, when John Wall had his special freshman season at Kentucky, it was only nine years ago. So it was already into the one-and-done era as he became a one-and-done player himself. I went back because Magic Johnson left that impression on me. I mean, I mean, like, as a little boy. I was only a kid in the late 1970s. I went back to see, was Magic an All-American? Because in the late 70s, think about it now. Like, does Cole Anthony have a legit shot to be an All-American? It's incredibly early, duh. He's only played one game, right? But would anybody say he's not going to be a candidate for, say, ACC Player of the Year? The way Zion, as a freshman, won ACC Player of the Year last year? Oh, by the way, the ACC was created in the 1950s. They went from their creation in the 50s all the way to 2015, four years ago, without a freshman ever being the player of the year. Now, part of that time, freshmen were ineligible. So you can't be player of the year if you're not playing for the varsity, right? But the rules did eventually change to allow for freshman eligibility. And it still remains fact that from the 50s to 2015, with a big chunk of that, I mean, freshmen became eligible in the early 70s, all right? So that's the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the first decade of this century, and half of the current decade, never a freshman who became the ACC Player of the Year. Well, just in the last handful of years, Jalil Okafor of Duke, the big man, was the ACC Player of the Year as a freshman. Marvin Bagley III, two years ago, was the ACC Player of the Year as a freshman, and Zion Williamson last year. So what is that? Three of the last five have been freshmen after none in like 60 years, all right? So it got me thinking, all right, well, John Wall was phenomenal, and he made some All-American teams, but in part because dudes, the very best guys, don't hang around to be All-Americans as juniors and seniors anymore, right? So I looked up Kenny Anderson. Some dudes were turning pro really early, you know, in the early 1990s. Kenny Anderson was an All-American for Georgia Tech in 1990 as a freshman. John Wall was an All-American consensus first team, for Kentucky back in 2010. Was Magic Johnson, again, he might be the greatest freshman point guard season of all time. Might be number one on that list as Cole Anthony tries to rise up this ladder and won't be that fun to watch whether or not he makes it that far. In 1978, Magic Johnson was nowhere to be seen on the All-American teams. Now, is that a reflection on Magic Johnson or is that a reflection on the neighborhood that he stepped into at a time where almost nobody was going pro that quickly, right? I looked it up, all 10 consensus All-Americans from the year that Magic was a freshman at Michigan State, all 10 of the dudes, I don't know why they didn't have a third team back then, all eight were seniors in college and two were juniors. So you could be the most spectacular freshman. Nowadays, if you're the most spectacular freshman, you might be the player of the year nationally. Back then, you could be the national freshman of the year and not even get a whiff of the All-American teams. That, folks, is way more of a reflection of how the world has changed in college hoops and not at all a reflection of Magic Johnson's brilliance way back then. He was first team all Big Ten. 
They won the Big Ten title that year. They finished ranked in the national top five. Uh, they lost to the eventual NCAA champion Kentucky that year. But Magic Johnson was like a 17 points, eight rebounds, seven assist guy. You know, kind of like what Cole Anthony did in the game. He did for, uh, you know, not quite those numbers, but great numbers for an entire season. That Larry Bird guy was an All-American at Indiana State the same year that Magic was a freshman at Michigan State. But again, Larry Bird was a junior that year and reflected the theme. Yeah, juniors and seniors were all the All-Americans back then. Now, if you're the best freshman in the country, you're probably a first-team All-American as well. Mark in Greensboro, welcome to Free For All Friday. Go right ahead. What's up, DG? How you doing? Doing great, man. You also have college hoops on your mind. What's going on? Yes, sir. Um, all right, so I want all of the ACC to unite, especially in your statewide audience, to watch UNCG, my Spartans, play Kansas tonight in Lawrence at Fog Allen. I'm a big fan of the program. I've known Wes for about a decade. Uh, one of the up-and-coming coaches. You may have seen him need to see in the future. Yeah. But for now, but for now, he's got a he's got a team this year. And I, listen, I'm not sitting here trying to predict they're going to go into Kansas and beat them. But that game is going to be as competitive a game as you'll see early in the season against a perennial national title contender. And you know, it, with the, with with UNCG winning the SoCon a couple of years ago. They've won 20, coming off 29 games, first team out in the bubble last yeah. year. This, this team, this team is as is, is as athletic as he's ever had. I don't know if you saw Isaiah Miller's number one dunk uh, on Sportsnet the other day, his 50-inch vertical leap. So they have the best athlete on the floor. Um, they got guys that can shoot three. If it, they stay close early, that's going to be a barn burner. So I just want all your statewide audience to uh, give a look to that 9 p.m. ESPNU. Right. Uh, and just go, go Spartans, man. Yeah. I'm. I'm I'm, I'm glad you mentioned, you know, you can't always catch the Spartans, but tonight is the exception to that rule, right? I mean, as he said, 9 o'clock ESPNU, so we can certainly put our statewide audience and the strength of it behind a national TV appearance for the UNC Greensboro Spartans. Wes Miller has done a phenomenal job there, former Tar Heel sharpshooter. He's going to end up someday in one of these power leagues as a head coach. He has done amazing things at UNC Greensboro. And remember, I'm trying to think, last year, what was it, like a 10-point game? Didn't they play – didn't the Spartans play Kansas last year? And it was it was not a nail-biter, but it wasn't a blowout. It was kind of in between, right? They played Kentucky last year. Uh, I was there, uh, and uh, they were up five with about nine minutes to go, and then Kentucky went on a 22-4 to run, and it was ended up being like a 15-point game. Yeah. That's, uh, that's how the Spartans showed out in a brilliant season for them a year ago as well. Uh, we'll see how it goes at Kansas tonight. Um, I love Isaiah Miller as a point guard. I love the roster that he has built there. He did say goodbye to some of their best players from last season's team. But for those who love college hoops in our state, remember you get another look at Duke tonight. Colorado State is visiting. You get another look at Carolina tonight. They're at UNC Wilmington. Why would the Heels play a road game against somebody further down the Division I ladder? Well, the Seahawks head coach is C.B. McGrath, 
who is a longtime right-hand man and uh, mentee to Roy Williams, including with the Tar Heels. He's in year three, I think, as the head coach of the Seahawks. So UNC Wilmington gets to play host to the number nine Tar Heels tonight. The number four Blue Devils host Colorado State. Bob McKillop and Davidson get a national TV matchup against the top 25 Auburn team. That is also tonight. And Wes Miller and UNC Greensboro visit number three Kansas. The Jayhawks showed a lot of rust against Duke. Now, Wes Miller, of course, does not have the kind of talent that Mike Krzyzewski has with the Blue Devils. We'll see. Odds are the size and strength of the Jayhawks overrules the Spartans in a way that they could not dominate the Duke Blue Devils in the paint or around the basket. That's the hardest part. It's not execution. It's just sheer size, talent, wingspan, and those sorts of things. But it's going to be fun to watch. Davidson is one of the best teams in its league again this year. Uh, again, Auburn is the opponent tonight. UNCG, one of the best teams in its league again this year, according to the preseason prognostications, at the number three Kansas Jayhawks tonight. If nothing else, man, you get, as a UNCG Spartan, a look at one of the most storied buildings and storied programs in the history of college basketball. The win would be the dream, uh, but the experience should count for something as well. 1-800-849-2761. Free for All Friday continues with your phone calls. We have a lot more football and basketball on our mind, college and pro. You could be next with your question, comment, or complaint. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket in to the David Glenn Show. Kevin Harlan is joining us. It was a boring game, and the guy ran out right through the formation as if he was a wide receiver <laughs> to be a part of the play. The guy is drunk, but there he goes. You always think of calling that dramatic last-second buzzer-beating shot or a touchdown pass or, or something more historic. This is the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to Free For All Friday. We are halfway to Margaritaville. We are headed to the NC State Clemson football game tomorrow at Carter-Finley. We'll be in Backyard Bistro from 4 to 7, leading up to that 7.30 kickoff. We do have lines open for the first time in a long time. If you want in on the NFL, Packers at or P Panthers at Packers or otherwise. If you want in on college football, LSU, Alabama or otherwise. The Florida State coaching search. Big games in different ways for the Wolfpack. Wake Forest at Virginia Tech. Duke hosting Notre Dame. ECU is at SMU. App State is at South Carolina. They want to shock the Gamecocks just like they shocked the Tar Heels in Chapel Hill earlier this year. Carolina is off this weekend, but remember, we'll have the Tar Heels a Thursday night national TV matchup against the Pitt Panthers, who are also off this weekend. Coastal chaos continues to reign in ACC football country. UVA is in the driver's seat, and the Cavs host Georgia Tech this weekend. Maybe they can keep those odds in their favor. Miami hosts Louisville. That should be an interesting one. Scott Satterfield has led the Cardinals to the most surprisingly impressive season so far this year. Can they beat the Canes in Miami when Miami still at least has a fighting chance to represent the Coastal at the ACC championship game? We will see. Big games nationally, of course, include LSU, Alabama, Penn State, Minnesota. They're the two we've been talking about all week. All four teams are unbeaten and are four of the seven still fitting that description at the FBS level. Don't forget, too, that Oklahoma, our friends Lincoln Riley and Ruffin McNeil and the Sooners. They're a national TV game tomorrow night on Fox. They host Iowa State. The Sooners 
are not at all in a driver's seat for the college football playoff, but they're also not at all down and out. If they can run the table the rest of the way, they're seven and one. They could win the Big 12 championship. They could be that compelling 12 and one record with the conference championship label on them. Remember, that is by definition a committee criterion. If you are not a conference champion, you must be, quote, unequivocally better than those who carry the conference champion label. We'll see how that shakes out because, of course, the loser of LSU Alabama is going to have a really hard time playing for the SEC title. They're in the same division. So if you fall, if you lose that head-to-head matchup, even if the team that just beat you stumbles and you're both 7-1 and one in conference play, well, of course, they get the tiebreaker. So LSU Alabama is huge for a lot of obvious reasons. Don't forget, too, that the loser of that game has a really uphill battle to win a conference championship. And again, it is in the rules Conference championship status matters a lot. There's, there have been examples of the non-champion in the SEC making the Final Four. Some think LSU would have a road to do that if it loses to Alabama. If the tide falls at home to LSU, it is a trickier road because as we speak, 8-0 Alabama has won and exactly one significant victory. They beat Texas A&M. A solid team, 6-3, and three, the Aggies, 47-28, and they beat them in College Station. After that, Alabama does not have a single great victory. I would argue not even a single above-average victory. Their next best wins are over a middling Duke team in Atlanta in that season opener and then a middling South Carolina team that right now has a losing record. That being your second-best win is not going to be good enough, even if you're a brand name like Alabama. Now, they get LSU tomorrow. We'll see what happens. They do have one more shot at regular season power points, if you will. They have that regular season finale against an Auburn team that is and 7-2 and would provide a boost to Alabama's resume should they need it that way at that point. Huge games for LSU at Alabama and Penn State at Minnesota. Again, though, the Sooners are on that list of one-loss resumes who still matter. Georgia is 7-1 and one and number 6 in the committee's rankings. Oregon and Utah are both 8-1 and one and 7-8 and eight in the committee's rankings as they came out for the first time this season earlier this week. Oklahoma 7-1. and one. Yes, they would need help, but a 12-1 resume with the Big 12 champion label likely would put them real close to the top four, if not in that top four. Hour number three is all your phone calls in the spirit of Free For All Friday. More of my thoughts on the week that was and the weekend to come. We're glad you're with us on the David Glenn Show. Gary Player joining us. This morning I did 1,300 sit-ups and crunches. Wow. I pushed 300 pounds with my legs and I ran on the treadmill. You are one of the legends of golf and you've been an inspiration as a person as well. What a nice compliment and God bless America. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. Hour three begins with more football and basketball. Also, why it's a big weekend for NASCAR and soccer fans as well. And, of course, since it's free-for-all Friday, that means more of your phone calls statewide and beyond on the David Glenn Show. Jump in next, 1-800-849-2761. That's how you can join us next on the David Glenn Show. Kurt Busch is joining us, 38-year-old champion of the Daytona 500. I went out with Gronk last night after uh, after we won the race. Did you really? Also, it was fun. Got about an hour of sleep. I asked him, I go, hey, when do you have to report to training camp? 
He goes, July. I said, well, we can't be friends because i got to go back to racing. Stay with us on The David Glenn Show.